John and Barbara, as we go back to Hebrews 11, this is actually my final message from uh, Hebrews 11, as we've looked at the characters here that are named by name, so we know who they are. And the last one that we'll look at is Moses, as we read uh, a little bit ago. And uh, Moses, of course, is a giant figure in the Old Testament. Uh, we know his name. We know who he was. We pretty much know what he did. Uh, we're told a number of times in the book of Numbers, the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, whom um, her mother bare to Levi in Egypt, and she bare unto Amram, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, their sister. So we know the family pretty well, too. Uh, we know that they were Levites, a priestly family, and of course that fits well with, with Aaron, the older of the kids, who will become the high priest uh, as, uh, in the Exodus. And uh, Moses, uh, Aaron are brothers, and then uh, Miriam, uh, the sister, and she finds her place into the story a number of times. Moses is an important figure. As a matter of fact, even here in Hebrews uh, 11, he is mentioned more times by faith than anyone else. Abraham, three times it was said of Abraham, by faith Abraham did this or that. But to Moses, four times uh, it's said, uh, uh, by faith he did this. And we're going to look at those four things uh, as you have an outline in your bulletin. You know, in Acts chapter 7 is that chapter where Stephen was stoned at the end of the chapter, but that long chapter, he basically preaches a long sermon all about the history of Israel. And of the 50 verses in Stephen's sermon, 24 of them are about Moses. Uh, so no matter how you look at the Old Testament and, and read it, Moses becomes very important. Uh, of course, in the Old Testament... You go all the way from Adam up to Moses, just in the book of Genesis, right? And then uh, the Mosaic Law takes five books of the Bible, or four more, I should say, in order to, uh, uh, to give us the law, and then the history of that dispensation goes all the way to Malachi. So Moses becomes that pivotal uh, person uh, beginning in the book of Exodus, that runs throughout the, the rest of the, uh, of the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 34, it's said this way about Moses, There arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all his land. And in all the mighty hand, and in all that mighty hand, and in all that great terror which Moses showed in the sight of Israel, so he was he was a great man. You know, uh, just a thought too, as we conclude kind of our, our thinking with Moses about all of these uh, men that are mentioned and and women who are mentioned here. There's a verse in Deuteronomy, it's Deuteronomy 11, 11, that as they are preparing to go into the land and conquer the land, it says, but the land whither you go to possess is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. I like that expression, drinks water from the rain of heaven. But God is telling them it's going to be a land of hills and valleys. 
And I've heard this expression often, but I, I think of it when I, when I see that verse, that uh, the land, uh, even the promised land, will not all be mountaintops. <laughs> there will be valleys and there will be hills. There will be the mountaintops and there will be the valleys. And I thought about that as I, as I thought back on this chapter, because uh, we see in these great men, the greatest men, and women of the Old Testament, there are the good times and the bad times. There are the blessings and there are the trials. There are even in many of their lives, of course, great things done for God and sometimes great sins against God, even in the lives of these kinds of men. Consider, you know, these, these high points, the hills, for example, Abel's sacrifice that he brought by blood, Enoch's translation into heaven because uh, he was a man that walked with God. Noah uh, became then the heir of righteousness. We're all children of Noah because of that. Abraham got the land of promise. We saw that Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph all got to be taken back to the land and, and, and buried in the promised land. And now Moses is going to be given the law. He, he sees God face to face. These are all mountain peaks in the, in the lives of these people. But consider the valleys in these same people. Abel was murdered, though uh, he was such a man of God. Enoch only had got to live 360 years, just a, you know, just a child when he died. Noah then had to build an ark and suffer through the flood. Abraham after all that he did for God, was commanded to take his only son Isaac up onto Mount Moriah and, and sacrifice his son. Uh, the patriarchs all died down in Egypt rather than in the promised land. And Moses, for all of the good things that he does, is going to strike the rock rather than speak to the rock and not be able to go into the promised land himself. So even the best of people, folks, have the mountain tops and they have the valleys. So remember a few things. Number one, life is both, even in the best of people. So in all of these people that we're looking at, if they had their, their valleys and low times, so will you. But you'll have your mountain peaks too. As a matter of fact, you can't have the mountains without the valleys. You can't have the valleys without the mountains. So life has to be that way. It's a fallen world. It's a broken world. There's sin in this world. You and I are not perfect. We're going, to, we're going to do well following God sometimes and not so well sometimes. But we can learn from both. As a matter of fact, we learn thankfulness in the valley, but we learn wisdom on the mountaintops. We learn how to thank God and praise Him in the valleys, but we learn uh, how to bless Him and gain wisdom on the mountaintops. So both are necessary in our lives, and God will take us through both of these periods for this reason. So we've seen that in the, in the characters up to Moses, and of course we see it in Moses' life. Now, if you're looking at your text that Ron read to us from 23 to 28, you'll know, notice that four times, again, it's said that uh, Moses did something by faith. Verse 23 verse 24, verse 27, verse 28. Four times something is said, and that's going to be my outline that you'll follow as we go through this. Remember that uh, Moses lived 120 years? And, and in that 120 years, you can 
very neatly divide his life by 40s. Uh, the first 40 years of his life was spent in Egypt from his birth, uh, the time that he spent uh, in the, in the uh, palace as the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. Then the next 40 years, he flees Egypt, and he's on the backside of the desert. He has a family. There's where he meets God at the burning bush and so forth. And God sends him back to Egypt so to get the children of Israel so that the last 40 years of his life are the 40 years of wandering where he takes them from the Red Sea all the way to the border of Israel. So his life is divided into 40s that way. But it also kind of lets us see in the life of Moses that we grow up. Uh, there are certain things we do at certain stages of our lives, and it's kind of necessary. But as we grow and as we mature, we ought to, like Moses, get to the place where God can use us uh, even uh, as an example and leadership to others. So, if you will, uh, let's start in verse 23 uh, with the, my first thought here, and that is, uh, about Moses, by the way, if we're going to uh, do the right thing and live what Moses lived, first of all, Moses was raised right. Now, in, in the other three statements about by faith Moses did something, those are active. Moses did this, Moses did this. Here it's in the passive voice, which means this was done to Moses. Of course, when he was a baby, when he was born, he couldn't do anything at that point, so his parents did something for them. You remember the story, don't you? Don't you remember that, that Pharaoh was, was uh, afraid of the Israelites, and so he was going to kill all the male children, throw them into the river, throw them to the crocodiles in the Nile, and kill all of the, uh, of the children? Uh, but we find that Moses' mother protected him. So notice what this verse says, first of all, by faith, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. And the first thought is that they hid him from danger. Isn't that what a parent does? Isn't that what any parent does with their newborn, with their children, when they can't defend themselves? You defend them. And you protect them. You watch over them. Now, it says that uh, she did this for three months. Uh, you know how those first three months are when you have a new infant in the home, don't you? <laughs> the two of you are lying in bed and the baby starts crying and you're both pretending like you're asleep and don't hear it so that the other person will get up and go take care of the baby. You remember those years, don't you? Night after night after night after night. Uh, it's a tiring thing. But uh, I imagine that after three months, a child can't be hid very easy, easily very longer, right? The neighbors are going to hear this child cry. He's going to run somewhere. Something's going to happen. So, so three months in the, in the life of an infant's a long time. And finally, she just couldn't hide uh, the child anymore. Uh, as a matter of fact, Exodus 2.3 says, When she could no longer hide him, she took him. Uh, uh, for him, an ark of bulrushes, daubed it with slime and pitch, and put the child therein, laid it in the flags by the river's bank. And you remember the story how Moses uh, was put in that ark and uh, floated uh, down the river. You know, I thought this, it, it is true that they no doubt killed the children in many different ways, even as they were born. Uh, but uh, tradition says, too, that uh, it was a common thing for them to drown children in the Nile. 
So here's the Nile, and it becomes, it becomes death to some, but life to Moses. And you know, I thought a, a parent's protection or a parent's right over a child sometimes can be good or bad. Sometimes it can mean life, sometimes death. Praise the Lord if your parents were parents like Moses' parents and the Nile to you was liberty. I mean, the childhood to you and being in home and being under your, your parents' uh, commands was a blessing to you. What a, a thing you have to be thankful for in your life because there are many children uh, who that time of their life is death to them. No care, no training, no protection from the things around them. But here, Moses had that blessing. And I think, secondly, they recognized his gifts. When it says here then, in verse 23, because they saw he was a proper child. Maybe God told her. Maybe God warned her. But she realized something about this child. Uh, and I'm going to protect this. Now, in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, when Stephen's preaching that sermon, he says, in which time Moses was born was exceeding fair and was nourished up in his father's house three months. Exceeding fair. And so a couple statements made about this child that it was a proper child. Uh, they recognized it. You know, I, I, I think my parents were wise enough to say, God wants to use this baby. God wants to use this child. Didn't you say that to your children? Maybe God would do something with this child. Maybe God will bless this child. I want to, I want to make him available. How often do we have what we call baby dedication and parents stand up here with their children and say, Lord, here is my child. He or she, do, you know, take this child and use him or her uh, to your honor and glory. That's a, that's a right thing, and I think she did that with, with this baby. You know, uh, the psalmist said children are a heritage of the Lord, right? The fruit of the womb is his reward. These are the heritage uh, that God gives us and the reward that he wants back. So they recognize that. We ought to do that in our children. And then thirdly, they were unafraid of the opposition. So they were not afraid of the king's commandment. The commandment was, you turn over your boys. You turn them over, and we're going to put them to death. You must do this. And everybody else was, evidently, or at least they couldn't hide their children from the command of Pharaoh. And here is Jochebed, his mother, who says, no, I am not afraid of what Pharaoh can do to me. Uh, I am going to take care of this child as God has commanded me to do. And even Miriam, his sister, a little bit older anyway, uh, she is even in on it saying, well, here's how you can take care of this baby. And when, when, when Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby, you, you know, in the river, it's Mir Miriam who runs in there and says, I know somebody who will take care of this baby for you. I mean, this family was not afraid of, of uh, what could happen. You know, I find that in our generation, parents are afraid all the time. And, uh, you know, the fact is our Egypt is our culture. That, that is our Egypt. 
and it will destroy our children if we will let it. And if we're afraid of our culture, uh, then, then uh, we'll give our kids to this culture because we're afraid of, of some negative uh, uh, feeling that they will have toward us or they'll call us some kind of prudish Christians or whatever. And we won't give our kids to God, we'll give them to Egypt, that is to our culture. The peer pressure these days is the king's command. You know, you will do that. You've got to be like this. You've got to talk like this. You've got to dress like this. You've got to go these places or you're an outcast in our society. Same as the king's command. And yet, maybe the social networking these days is the law of the jungle. You know, turn our kids over to, to whatever. And so do we protect our kids and do we have the same uh, feeling that Moses' parents had toward him? We need to do that. And we need to encourage our children who are having children to be these kinds of parents. So Moses was raised right. In the first, the beginning anyway, of these first 40 years, uh, no wonder he could withstand what we're going to see him withstand uh, in the pleasures of Egypt because of what his parents did for him at these early ages. Okay? Secondly, Moses chose right. Now we move ahead, of course, to about the end of that 40 years when uh, he will uh, then decide, no, I'm an Israelite, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm going to stand with the people of God, not with, not with Pharaoh. And uh, he did that and then had to flee to the desert too. But notice now, in, uh, it begins in verse 24 and goes for three verses. And I want you to notice that in these three verses, an action is given us each time. In verse 24, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In verse 25, he chose, or choosing rather, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And thirdly, in verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ. I'm going to do it like this. Number one, he refused a worldly ID, verse 24. He refused the worldly ID. I don't belong to this, this Egypt. I belong to uh, God. That's who uh, my father is. And so notice again in verse 24, it says, when he was come to years. When he was come to years. Now we know, again, this took him up to about 40 years old. We, would, we might say you come to years at 18. I don't know, maybe 21. Uh, in our society. We have those kind of stopping places and, and the rest. But th the point is, it's time to grow up. And when Moses gets to this age, it's time to have his own identity. It's time to say, no, this is who I am before God. And Egypt was wanting to say, no, you are an Egyptian. You will worship the son. You will be the son of, of the daughter of Pharaoh. This is who you will be. And Moses said, I will not. I am God's child. I will follow God. It's time uh, at, at these early adult years that a young man or a young woman uh, refuse the worldly ID. And don't you know that there was pressure there on, on uh, Moses? This, isn't, this wasn't just, uh, you know, uh, some bricklayer uh, building, building pyramids in Egypt. This was Pharaoh's daughter that put this kind of pressure on him. The royalty, the riches, the power, uh, all that came with it 
you, it's all yours, Moses. You can have this all. This is what the rest of your life will be. You will be the most powerful man in Egypt someday, in the world someday. How many of you have been offered that? <laughs> and yet look, look at the measly things that you and I have been offered and we give in to it. And yet here Moses was offered all of this and when he came to, the, to years in his life, he said, I will not, I refuse that ID. So he refused the worldly ID, and in verse 25, he chose then the divine ID, if you will, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than even to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season to suffer affliction. And you remember because uh, they were afflicted from the time of Joseph, they, they had to make brick and build things and, they, and they, uh, their taskmasters were heavy on them. And those who knew Joseph had long since died and now uh, others that did not like the Jewish, these Jewish shepherds down here in our country, they didn't like them. They thought they were going to become too powerful, so they were trying to destroy them. And so there was a lot of affliction. And for someone like this to be offered everything that you could have in Egypt to say, no, I will identify with those slaves. I'll identify with those people. No one could understand that than to have all the pleasures that you have in all of the world, you would choose that? Sometimes we feel sorry for ourselves, don't we, that, oh, I've become a Christian, and because I'm a Christian, I don't do this or I don't do that, and I, I go over here with, the, you know, as if we're sorry for ourselves. And here's a, one of the greatest men in the Old Testament saying, this is the life to choose. You want to be happy. You want to have a purpose in your life. Choose the people of God and live with them. And so he did. Rather than the pleasures of sin, that's Egypt, of course, and for a season. You know that expression, don't you? There's pleasure in sin, but it's a seasonal thing. There's pleasure in sin for the moment. There's something to take your mind off of following God for the moment. There's something to do right now that is not right, and you think this is wonderful. It won't last long. Sin cannot satisfy the child of God, I'm telling you. It will not uh, satisfy you in your life. You have to leave it behind. So let me ask you, what, what is your Egypt? What is your pleasure of sin? What is your little diversion in life? What is the thing that takes you away from the things of God that you think is so wonderful? It will not satisfy long. Choose rather even the affliction with the people of God. Because, by the way, Paul called himself a bond slave. I looked up the other day. There are five different words in the New Testament to describe slaves. And every one of them is used of believers in the New Testament. Under rowers, house servants, menial task doers, just all kinds of expressions. And the doulos, the bond slave. There's a, there's a word that means I'm I, have, I wear chains and I'm chained to a soldier. Paul was that way. Choose the afflictions of the people of God. That's the way God has described us. And then thirdly, he chose right because he counted the cost. So verse 26 says, 
uh, esteeming the reproach of Christ than greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And he had respect under the recompense of that reward. So counted, I say, mean, esteemed means he counted that. He counted the cost. Now, here are the reproaches of Christ, and here are the treasures of Egypt. Let's weigh these two and see what they look like. You know, we're liable to look at that and say, well, look at all the treasures of Egypt. Isn't that better? Look, look at the reproaches, the suffering that goes along with Christ. You would choose that? Moses did. Abraham did. All of these people in this chapter did. And I say that everyone that will enjoy uh, God for eternity has also. That we choose to be counted uh, this. So he, he counted this cost. He said, no, I would rather have this. And, and think about it. So in the end, when, when, uh, when uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy are done, would you rather be Moses or Pharaoh? Pharaoh's lying at the bottom of the Red Sea, uh, drown, and Moses is gazing off into the promised land, and God takes him to heaven. Would you rather be Pharaoh or Moses? And yet at this point, that was a hard choice. Should I become Pharaoh? And Moses would have become Pharaoh, probably. Or do I go over here with these slaves? Which do I do? But he chose right because he, he counted the cost. You know, I, I read this statement by old Ben Franklin the other day when he said, Who is rich? He that is content. Who is that? Nobody. <laughs> Who's really content in this life in riches? Nobody. Paul said it this way, Supposing that gain is godliness... From such withdraw thyself. Godliness with contentment, that is great gain. And that's what we need to understand. Paul said, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul said, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in our knowledge of God. That is where uh, the true joy is. And so this last statement, a little difficult in the older version, uh, where he says that he had recompense unto the, or I mean respect unto the recompense of the reward, the, the idea of having respect literally means to look away. It's the, word, it's the prefix away connected to the word to look. He, he had respect unto. He looked away to his reward. The recompense, of course, would be what God will give him for being faithful. He looked away to it. And you know, I, 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 I titled this Counting the Cost because I think that's what counting the cost is. It's looking away. You have to look beyond your current circumstances. You have to look beyond the immediate pleasures of sin for, that are only for a season, and you have to look away. And when you look away, you can count the cost. And you can say, yeah, but what will I be at the end of my life? Yeah, what will I be at the end of this week? If I go with you down to that place, what will I be tomorrow morning? What will, what will, I, what will be the cost of what you're asking me to do? You have to look away. And you have to put yourself down there and say, when I'm down there and I look back on it, this is what I want to think. This is what I want to be. 
And you have to be true to God's calling in your life. Uh, you know, I, I was reminded the other day that uh, not too long ago, they were uh, evaluating uh, traffic deaths and said that traffic deaths on our highways are attributed mostly to two different things. You know what they were? Number one is high speed, too much going too fast. That's number one. And number two is failing to yield the right of way. They weren't talking about dr drinking and driving or things like that, just on the highway. Uh, and I've seen them both this week. <laughs> you know, uh, I can believe this statistic. You know, if, you, if you've been going along the highway, it's 70 miles an hour out here, you know, on the, on the four lanes. So you're going along 70, and, and maybe I'm going 71, 72. So I, I love my cruise control. You know, I, I always tra travel with cruise control. But that way I can pass the truck. So I'm, so I'm going about 72. That's an admission. I really shouldn't be. But then I look in my mirror, and this guy passes me as I'm standing still. I'm thinking to myself, how fast has that guy got to be going? And I'm, I'm thinking, now, if I speed it up to, to catch up with him, I, surely I'm going 90 or something like that. You know, So I can believe that one. And then the other one about not yielding the right of way, eh, hell yeah. This week, I'm going along, minding my own business, in the right lane, <laughs> There's cars on my left, so I can't pull over, and I'm going th uh, past the, wh where they're supposed to be merging in. Here comes this, I, I hate to say it, ladies, but a lady driving. And she's coming down the ramp right next to me. I can't move over. Who has the right-of-way here? If, if I had not put on my brakes, we would have had an accident because she was coming right into me. Never looked over. <laughs> just came right on, and I backed off quickly, and she pulled right in in front of me. Failing to yield the right away, you can see the accident that, that would have happened. Now, why am I saying all this? I don't know. We needed a break. Now, I'm saying it for this reason. Even Moses sometimes gets ahead of God. One of our problems of our accidents in our lives is going too fast. We're not following God's will. And we get ahead of God and we say, I should be doing this. I should be going here. And the other is that we fail to yield to the will of God. We don't yield to what God wants when he shows us. And when he says, go here, we say, nope, I'm going straight ahead. I'm going to do this. And now we're going to see in Moses' life a little bit that... Uh, Here's, here's a, a brother being beaten by an Egyptian, and he jumps on this guy and kills him and hides him in the sand. We all have those moments in life, don't we? When we don't yield to God, and even for that moment, he has to flee. He has to give up it all, it all up and flee to the desert because of not yielding to God in that particular instance or getting ahead of God. So let me go quickly to the last two thoughts. And uh, uh, we, we skip down now to verse 27. And uh, I say thirdly that he led right. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now, a little interpretive uh, debate goes on here. Does this mean when he killed that Egyptian and then he had to run to the desert? Or does this mean when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt across the Red Sea and in? And I think the latter is the case. 
I don't think he's talking about here when he killed that Egyptian and had to flee because it says here that he did not fear the wrath of the king. And uh, in, in that story, he was very much afraid, and that's why he ran away. So I think they're talking here about the fact that when he led the Israelites out of Egypt, now he's about 80 years old. He has been at the desert. He's learned from God. He's, he's communed with God. Can he lead now? Can he have these qualities that he's supposed to have? Well, there's a couple thoughts here I want you to see. First of all, he led without fear of adversaries. So it says, not fearing the wrath of the king. You can't fear adversaries and lead. And he had, he had to be that way. And if the, anyone had wrath, Pharaoh had it. I mean, you all, go back and read the story in, in Exodus, and you see the wrath of Pharaoh time and time again. But Moses always came back. He always stood up to him. And, he, and, and Moses even said, well, I'll tell you what, just go a little ways and come back. Moses said, no. God said, go all the way. Well, just take... Uh, uh, you know, just take uh, your, the men and go part way. Nope, we're all going. Well, go without your animals and your stuff. No, when we go, we're going. <laughs> Moses just said, I don't care what you say. I'm waiting it out. And when we go, we're going the way God wants us to go. And finally, even Pharaoh had to give up and, and let them go. He did, not, he did not fear, in other words, the wrath of the king. Where did he learn that lesson? as a little child back at home, a mother that did not fear the wrath of the king either, a sister that stood up even uh, to the wrath of the king. Oh, what lessons we learn in the, when we're hanging on to our mother's shirt tails around the kitchen, what lessons we learn for the rest of our lives. And Moses learned this great lesson. But secondly, he did lead in the fear of the Lord because it says he saw him who was invisible. I'm going to talk, that's a, this is a positive fear here. And in the next point, I'm going to talk a little bit about a negative fear. We have positive and negative fears about God, and both of them are good. Uh, but this positive fear, we, we worship God with reverence and godly fear, the book of Hebrews says. And, and this is what he has here. Now, I think it's interesting. You know what an oxymoron is, don't you? It's something that is apparent contradiction. Well, you have one here, seeing him who is invisible. Well, how can that be? How can you see something that's invisible? Well, number one, he saw a lot of manifestations of God and did not need to look at God directly yet anyway. He saw a burning bush, and when he saw a bush burning and not consumed and heard a voice out of the bush, that was enough for him, and it would be for me too. He says, throw your rod down, and it will become a serpent. He threw his rod down. It's a serpent. And he says, well, pick it up. He picks it up, becomes a stick again. Put your hand inside your coat, bring it back out, it's leprosy. Put it back in, bring it back out, the leprosy's gone. He saw enough uh, manifestations of God that he, that he knew who God was. Later, when they leave Egypt, later on the mountain, he'll know God face to face, as it says. But here, he feared God even though God's invisible. You, you want to be reminded of something? You haven't seen God either. There's some people around that think they do. But why do you fear God? 
God is invisible. As a matter of fact, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, but the Lord himself said the world will not receive the Holy Spirit because it can't see him. You're led around by the Spirit of God. You've never seen the Spirit of God. How do you know anything about the Spirit of God? And those of us who live now in the 21st century or the 20th and 21st century, you've never seen Jesus. And Peter reminded us, whom having not seen you love. How do you love? Why do you love Jesus? You've never seen him, and no man hath seen God and lived at any time. So you haven't seen the Father, you haven't seen the Son, you haven't seen the Holy Spirit. How do you love God and how do you fear God? And you're going through your heart and your mind right now and saying, because of this, because of this, because of this, because of this. I know God has manifested himself to me in so many ways, in his word, in the dwelling of his spirit, in the faith that I have in him when he saved me, and all of those kinds of things. So that oxymoron gives us a good kind of fear, reverence and godly fear. Now, lastly, not only did he lead right, he worshiped right. So last thing that is said in verse 28 is that through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest the judgment of God comes upon him. Now, God had shown him his power. And by the way, if this speaks, if the verses before speak of them coming out of Egypt across the Red Sea, what the reference here is to for 40 years he kept the Passover. As a matter of fact, the, the word kept here is in a present tense. And you could say he kept on keeping the Passover. Not just the first time, but Moses was faithful in his worshiping to God every year, keeping the Passover. So number one, he worshiped consistently. That's what the first part says. He kept, he kept on keeping the Passover. Are you as faithful now to God as you were the day you got saved? There was no day like it in my life like the day I got saved. I don't know about you, but I, I think that's probably true. You can go back in your life when you finally resigned and you finally gave yourself to the Lord, and boy, that joy just filled your heart. You could have done anything for God back then. Do you, are you still as faithful? Are you still consistent? He worshiped consistently, kept on keeping what he knew about God. Secondly, he worshiped carefully because this expression, the sprinkling of the blood, always had to be done carefully. When they were in Egypt, God said to Moses, now you instruct every head of every household, you take the blood of that lamb and you put it on the door post like this, because if you don't, the death angel's coming. But not only that, when they got out into the wilderness, God said, now Moses, when you do a sacrifice, and Aaron, you take the blood and you do this with it. And then you sprinkle it here. And then you put it on your thumb here and your toe here. And you put it on the ark here. And you do very carefully always with the blood. He worshiped carefully. Do you come to God without the blood? Do you, do you approach God without the sacrifice of Christ? Can you come to him without innocent blood being shed in your behalf? No. Be presumptuous to come before God without the blood. And we're very careful about it to realize that it's not you and me. It's the blood of the sinless Son of God 
the, the man who was God in the flesh who could die for us. He worshiped very carefully. And then thirdly, he worshiped in fear. And I think now this is the negative fear. We, we saw a positive fear, but you know what? There's always a negative fear with us. And I, I only say negative in the sense that one is to appreciate God, the other is to be afraid of God. And I believe that there's just a lot about the fear of God in the Bible that means you, there's a lot to be afraid of, and you, if you have any good sense, you're afraid of it. I mean, that death angel killed the firstborn, and Moses saw it. And God killed the Egyptians in the Red Sea, and Moses saw it. And God plagued the people, and thousands died, and Moses saw it, and Korah rebelled, and God opened up the earth, and they went down into the earth screaming, number 16 says. And Moses saw it and heard it. And then when God says, now Moses... You worship me this way. Let me tell you, there was some fear there, healthy fear. Have you ever been under the chastisement of God? I'm glad that he doesn't do the same things that he always did in the Old Testament, but it's the same God. As a matter of fact, doesn't, doesn't uh, the book of Hebrews tell us that no chastisement of, the God, uh, 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 of God is pleasant? This, is, this isn't fun. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Afterwards, but not during. You know, your parents spanked you, I, I hope, one way or another, and it wasn't fun while it's going on. <laughs> but afterwards, it worked what it should have worked and helped you uh, the way it should have helped you. And so there, I don't know about you folks, but... but I, I'm afraid of disappointing God, of sinning before him to the point that he would have to chastise me in such a way that it would bring, bring dishonor to his name, bring dishonor to our church, hurt my, my family, my, my brothers and sisters and all of that. I'm afraid of that happening. I'm afraid of what would happen, even God bringing his chastisement. And so uh, there's a... There's a a positive fear of God and a negative fear, and they're both healthy. Well, here's Moses, and we see him uh, as a great man in the Old Testament. You know what we can learn from Moses? Number one, children of God need, need protecting, and we need to protect them. Whether I'm speaking to those who will be parents, those who are, or those who have grandchildren, and you're helping your children protect their children. Whatever it is, we need to protect them because this world is no better than Egypt, folks. And it will eat our kids alive if we let this world do it. Young people need to see examples and they need to make choices. They need to see examples at this time in their life that says, that is a godly man or woman. That's who I should be like. I will be faithful like that person. And those young people need to be making choices to say, I will not go that way, I will go this way. And they're hard choices to make in life. And adults, we need to lead and we need to be the examples. And we need to, to lead in our own lives, in our own heart, in our own families, and in everywhere God has put us, and be the examples for others. And seniors, we need to walk in the fear of the Lord all the way to the end. Fear God and walk in His ways. Uh, worship him in reverence and in truth. 
And if we will, then God, I think, will raise up Abraham's and Moses's and, and, and Isaac's and Jacob's and Joseph's in our generation because the Lord knows we need them. Stand now with me, if you will, as we stand and bow our heads in prayer in just a moment. Father, thank you for the life of Moses. And thank you, Father, for Hebrews chapter 11. Thank you, Father, for examples because we need them and we know that they're real. We know that, that it's true. And Father, help us not to shrug it off because we don't live in those days, but help us, Father, rather to see that the days that we live in bring us the same challenges and demand of us the same faith and the same walk before you. So speak to our hearts. Bless us, Father, at this time. Help us in this Egypt in which we live. And may we follow you with all of our heart. May you bless us the way you bless them. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing a song. Our invitation is open. You respond.